Hi, welcome to another AmateurLogic.tv episode 41. Wow, really getting up there. Yeah, I'm George. I'm Jim. And I'm Peter. And Tommy is not here. He had to work late. We're hoping maybe he's going to run in late here. Yeah, we're, we're thinking he might be able to walk on the set late. Yeah, and speaking of set, we actually have a set now. Uh, Woohoo! Thanks to the new shack slash man cave, we are uh, we're we're getting to spread out a little bit. We're not bumping elbows with each other like uh, we have in the past. Peter, I, I just don't know what's going on. Peter built him a new great big large huge man cave. Then you built you a great big large huge man cave. I guess Tommy and I are just gonna have to get up off our pocketbooks and uh, and build us one. That's what it's going to take, and it's long overdue, man. I've I've lived in a little five by five <laughs> space where I can just barely turn around my chair for you know the last ten years uh, or better. So it's nice to be able to. I I am really envious, and and I know there's probably many of our viewers have a have a ham shack uh, like 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 mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yours is much bigger than what I had. With um, uh, with podcasting, you really do need a larger room, um, particularly for what you, you'll probably be doing in the near future, which, of course, is that green screen uh, behind you um, will be, you'll find very useful for various kinds of presentations, I would say. So uh, it's definitely uh, an improvement, and um, uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it greatly. I think yes. so, and th- and thanks to Wayne and his brother Vince for coming and helping put all this together. It's been a lot of work. We we worked almost three weeks to get the wiring and insulation and the walls and ceiling and all done, but it's worth it. Yeah, you know. and what our what our viewers uh, may not readily see, and even Peter can see some of it, but he can't see all of it, uh, is uh, what. What all that we have new behind the scenes. Maybe we can take a couple of snapshots, still shots, and put it out there on our Facebook page uh, showing some of the other new gear. We've got some pretty big monitors that we can see ourselves on behind the camera and some huge, nice new softbox lights and uh, all kind of new toys to play with. It's going to make yeah. us almost look pretty. Well, well, don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to rolling here. I've got some emails, Jim. Yeah, so do I. Let's hear some. Well, this one comes from Tim, K4KWQ. And Tim says, I love your shows on Amateur Logic. And he also watches Ham Nation. Uh, He says, I wanted to ask if uh, any one of you guys have ever done anything with the All-Star Network. And that's at All-Star Lin? Link. All-Star Link. All-Star oh, no. L-I-N. Probably is All-Star L-I-N. Maybe, maybe there's a K on it. We'll, we'll check it. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. He says, I've built many nodes and the audio is very nice, much better than Echolink. Uh, didn't know that. It says, one nice thing about All-Star is that you can link many systems together at one time. And uh, he's encouraging us to check it out. So we're going to have to do something on yeah. All-Star. It's not yeah. the first email we've had about it. Tim lives down in Florida and... Mm-hmm. I've talked to him, and we did an interview with him, and unfortunately, conditions were such that uh, the video footage nor the audio footage came out well, 
Let me tell you, Tim is a number one sharp on that all-star stuff, and it's worth a look. I, uh, he educated me on the topic, and uh, they've got some good things going on. Yeah, I've talked to Tim a few times on the Google Hangouts. He, yep. He gets on there in the evenings on the uh, Ham Radio Hangout, and uh, we've chatted a little bit. And I haven't been on there much in the last couple of weeks, though, because I've been shackless. You, know? you, you, you've been off the air and getting moved into your new shack and getting the new shack built and everything longer than I've ever known you to be off the air before, ever. Yeah, and uh, I no radios at all. I finally, now I have a dual band rig back in, so I can get on VHF and UHF, but all the other radios are still in boxes. It was like radio silence there for a while, Peter. <laughs> yeah, and uh, whilst we're on the subject, actually, uh, one thing that, that intrigued me a little bit about your um, your new shack was how you actually got your coax into the shack, because this is quite a bit of a challenge, uh, as I found out myself. I ended up buying a, a small little... Oh, what would you call it, like an L piece, uh, which goes into my wall, which allows me to get a few pieces of coax through. But how did you solve the problem there, George? Ah, it's a, well, it's uh, a secret, isn't it, George? Stay tuned, because we're going to be seeing that uh, shortly here. Peter, have you got any emails down under there? I've got an email here from Philip, N4GWV, and he enjoys our shows very much. And he enjoyed the uh, the Balin that I constructed uh, a week or two or month or two back. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, it's actually technically not a Balin, but uh, uh, it's uh, it's a very useful device. Thanks, uh, Philip. Good deal. Well, I've got one, Peter. This is from Ray KJ4YBD, and it's about stealth antennas. Ray says, "Just got my General. Finally got a transceiver." And I have a request. Would you guys do a show on the HOAs, that stands for Homeowners Association, restrictions on antennas and what you would recommend to put up as your best stealth antenna for, you know, like limited under one acre lots in a subdivision? And uh, yeah, Ray, stealth antennas, that's a great uh, topic. Uh, I've been thinking about doing a segment on that, but just to let you know, legally right now, there's not a lot that you can do today as an amateur if uh, subdivision has existing CCNRs, you know, community covenants and restrictions. So, but uh, here's a little note. The FCC is currently accepting input on this very topic. There's a bill before Congress, or, or I'm sorry, there's an FCC uh, proposed notice to rulemaking deal and. If you Google it, you'll find it, and you'll see what I mean. So by all means, go tell them about it, how you feel, and uh, maybe we'll get something done. Now, that's the FCC. Peter, what's the governing authority in Australia? Uh, in Australia, the the department is called the uh, Australian Communications and Media Authority, the ACMA. It's changed names uh, a few times, but uh, that's the current name there, uh, Jimmy. And restriction-wise, I'm assuming you also have something like uh, CCNRs or community covenant restrictions well, in neighbourhoods? We, we have local councils here uh, that can uh, make local uh, rules and regulations. Uh, they tend to mostly regulate um, the height of... Uh, 
constructions or, or anything you build that's over about, I think, six foot over uh, your roof height. So uh, it will probably vary a bit from uh, according to where you live. But basically, if you build anything big, you've got to go and get a, a building permit. And um, that can be both an expensive and uh, uh, a time-consuming process, unfortunately. Okay, so George... Don't, uh, doesn't, isn't it the case that our local authorities like the city or, or county, uh, if, a, if a neighborhood has uh, covenant restrictions on towers or satellite dishes, can't they come in and say, uh, we're sorry, Mr. Homeowners Association, you've got to let this amateur have this tower, if, if yeah. they so choose to? I don't know, Jim. I would say possibly. You know... Um, the uh, government agencies here can't put restrictions on us. Right. The city can't put a restriction and say, I can't have an antenna. But, but the a local, local neighborhood... That's the way it is. Yeah. If you sign an agreement when you move in the neighborhood, it says, I'll yeah. abide by, yeah. well, by these rules. Or, or you yeah. don't even have to sign it. Just if they are pre-existing rules, they, they give you a copy if you're yeah. moving into a neighborhood. And that's one thing I checked before I bought this house. Yeah. And there were none. Yeah. So yeah. that helped make my decision. But I, I don't guess I any that. of us are, are affected by that. I, I don't think I don't Tommy about, is either. Oh, okay. Well, good. Yeah. By the way, so those uh, in Australia, those restrictive covenants are, are perhaps a little less common than um, – we do have them, but uh, you're more likely to find them in something like, um, I don't know, an aged care uh, kind of a setup where perhaps you buy a unit uh, in a retirement village, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Tommy is not here. Right. And you know, field day this year. We didn't do field day, did we? I I, I was unable to, and I think you were tied yeah. up. My building was delivered the day before field day. So <laughs> here here's the story. I, Tommy and I had talked about doing it and tentatively planned to do it, and then yeah. decided now it was just almost near 100 degrees here. And uh, it was just going to be kind of tough to get it together at the last minute. And everybody who was yeah. going, you know, to join with us, yeah. um, you know, backed out too. So Come on, come on ARRL. Mercy, man. It's 100 yeah. degrees. Move it. Move it to October. Yeah, move it sometime a little bit cooler uh, if, if you want Southern participation, I'd say. Because yeah. it's, it's hard to do. But anyway... Uh, so 100 in the shade. Tommy and I decided, well, we'll just go visit some of the local clubs and get some video of their field day. And since my building was delivered the day before, I was still, you know, reeling from that and trying to get things together uh, on field day itself. Yeah. So Tommy went out and shot this video by himself. Bless his heart. Wayne did not get the <laughs> message that we had counseled field day. Oh. So he showed up here about noon that day, that Saturday, and I put him to work, and we, we got a lot of stuff done in here. <laughs> That's why we're sitting here today. Yeah. Oh, so That's funny. Let's take a look at Tommy's field day video. All right. Good morning. It's field day. I'm out here by the Ross Barnett Reservoir near Jackson, Mississippi. I'm at the JARC, Jackson Amateur Radio Club's field day site. We're going to go in, watch them do some setup. Uh, maybe talk to a few of them about what field day is about to them and uh, get some video of them operating. Just kind of generally look around. 
For those of you that don't know, field day is about emergency preparation and about getting on the air. This is the day you take all that stuff that you've uh, bought to be ready for when the power goes out and things like that uh, for emergency. All those batteries, extra antennas that you've got, get them out today, set them up, and make sure it's all ready for when a disaster strikes. That's when uh, amateur radios are at their most usefulness, in my opinion. That's part of the reason why I actually became a ham. Get your stuff out, test it out, make sure you're ready when it's needed. Let's go inside and take a look around and uh, talk to a few of the guys and see what's going on. Looks like they've got the portable antenna thing down to an art. That's a nice spool of coax. You can roll your antenna up on it as well. We've got the uh, dipole suspended between the tree and the field and the tree next to the building so they can easily route the coax through the window. Here's the phone station, the logging computer, IC7000 and the power supply, and we've got the go-to station in a nice portable case. I really like that. Of course, they're going to be working off of uh, generator power to get the most points for the contacts that they make. Well, I'm not that into CW. This is really impressive. This one CW station here may have been this one guy. I didn't notice anyone else operating it, but the total number of contacts they made for the entire field day was around 200 as opposed to the 150 that the other station made with digital and voice. So that's not bad. CW is not dead. All right, I ran into Jim here. Jim's the uh, new president of the JARC. I believe you go in on uh, July the 1st, is that right? That would be correct, yes, Tommy. Can you uh, tell me what you guys got set up here? It looks like you scaled down just a little bit from last year, I think. Yeah, we did. Uh, one thing, you know, we're at Old Trace Park uh, on the Ross Barnett Reservoir here in uh, Ridgeland. And uh, last year we had a setup where we had everything kind of in the woods, if you're familiar with the park. This year we decided to have all of our stations indoors uh, into the air conditioning, except for the, the GOTA station, which is uh, right behind me. Um, we're also continuing uh, running on generator power, which, uh, you know, you get extra points for doing that as well. But uh, we decided to make it a little bit more simplistic this year, make it a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, speaking of comfort, I see you guys got a little AC around here. That's uh, in Mississippi at this time of the year, man. That's a big plus. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the things that we were looking at. You know, you're looking at uh, 97, 98 degree temperatures, and that's without the heat index. And uh, at night, it's really bad around here. Typical Mississippi, you've got a lot of bugs and uh, a lot of things going on. So just decided to make our members more comfortable and, uh, you know, hopefully get a lot more people out here with it being indoors like it is. Yeah, speaking of more people out, I heard uh, one of the guys talking about they uh, sent out, I think, more uh, press releases to local newspapers and news media than before. Is that right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we did. You know, the main goal of uh, Field Day is not only to make sure that you are readied for an emergency situation by exercising your generators and your radio equipment and so on and so forth, but... Uh, 
you know you want to um, you want to get the word out to the public because the the primary purpose uh, in, in our eyes is not only to have fun but to get other people that are interested in amateur radio, especially kids. And uh, we'd like to get more kids involved in, in amateur radio, and that's the purpose of the GoTo station, uh, as you well know, because you can. Um, as long as there's a licensed operator, you can let kids or adults that are not ham operators experience what it's like for to be an operator. And if you haven't had uh, uh, your license for um, more than a year, you can also do that as well. So that's the, that's one of the main goals of, of Field Day is to familiarize the public with you know amateur radio. Yeah, it's a worthy worthy goal. And for those of you that don't know, go to is uh, get on the air station. Correct. Correct. And uh, anyway, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to sure, us. Tommy, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Whiskey Five, Papa Fox Charlie. Yeah, Whiskey Five, Private First Class. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think I had a whiskey five. Whiskey five again? Whiskey five, Papa, Foxtrot, Charlie. Whiskey five, Papa, Foxtrot, Charlie. I believe you're three Echo, Ohio. Thank you, three Echo, Ohio. Two Alpha, Mike Sugar. Two Alpha, Mike Sugar. I need you call again. Uh, it's whiskey, Delta, Yankee, Yankee. Yankee, what Is that whiskey eight, Delta, Yankee, Yankee? Three, uh, two Alpha Mike Sugar. Two Alpha Mike Sugar. I need your call one more time. Two Alpha. Two Alpha Mike Sugar. Two Alpha Mississippi. Over. Okay, got the two Alpha. QSL to uh, Ohio. Thank you, sir. Good luck. You know what? Hey, Randy, my friend Johnny here. He's operating the GoTo station. Actually, this isn't the GoTo station at the moment, is it? This is the real thing. It was the GoTo station when they first set up. But anyway, what's your call, John? W5PFR. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the exchange you're, you're giving uh, with what the... We're doing here, what we're doing here, we uh, give the, uh, uh, of course, give our call, which the club's call, which is W5PFC. We go as uh, W5 Private First Class. It's easier to go on the air. And uh, this exchange would be how many radios we have going and what, uh, what are we using, which is we're using emergency power. At, at the moment, we have two. Uh, we're running on 20 meters here on sideband, and there's guys in there running on, uh, I believe, uh, W right now. And we, everything running on emergency power, so we are two alpha. That's going to be our exchange for the time being, and the fellas there making the gota going on. So uh, that would be a whole separate ball game for that, but... Uh, overall, uh, you just give your call and uh, you go and give your exchange and uh, 7-3 and that's about it. All right, we well, appreciate it. Well, field day ended at 1 o'clock central time. It's a little after 1. They've already started tearing down. I stopped in to see how many contacts they made and uh, it looks like they made a little over 350 uh, that's not too bad considering they only ran two stations full-time, uh, CW and a phone. And then at one, there for a little while they started up a digital station. I think they had about 16 uh, people come to get on the air at the GOTA station, which is very respectable. Hopefully they introduce some new people to amateur radio. That's kind of what it's all about. 
Anyway, I know I had a really good time. Maybe Jim, George, and I will be able to set up our own field day station again next year. So watch for us on the air. You know, Jim, I was, you know, felt bad about sending Tommy out on his own to cover field day like that, <laughs> especially since he thought, you know, the day before that I would be going with him. But anyway, he did a great job there and got a little coverage. And, you know, the Jackson Club didn't have as big a field day this year as they've had in years past. Yeah. Quite yeah. scaled down. So. Yeah. Not sure uh, what was up with that, but at least they were out there doing it. Come see, come see, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Well, I heard from Richard Dill, KJ6RNL, a fan, who says he loves amateur logic. You guys rock. Enjoy the love from Silicon Valley, brothers. Oh. I got my ham ticket in early October, and it was one of the best moves I've made. I was amused to find two properties at many New Hampshire. First, it took me 30 years to finally step up and take the test. The currents and extremely convenient local ham cram session helped. And second, it took me two weeks to work up the nerve to key down. Yeah. 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 Representing that remark. And anyway, he said he was a lurker. But finally, my first contact was through the K6 NFI repeater near Stanford University. And it was with fellow ham KJ6 ANR Ken. I will never forget that. What a thrill. And I still remember my first contact too, Jim. How about you? Yes, yes, I do. And guess what? I hear the door opening. I see somebody. It's Santa Claus. <laughs> hey, there he is. <laughs> Come We're... on, pull up a chair, Tommy. Yeah. Hand me that mic over there, Jim. <laughs> Uh, the working man showed up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what you call a walk-on or a late walk-on. Don't they have a, some kind of baseball rule for that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Just slide in here between us. Can you yeah, scoot get that in here between us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. I may need to actually zoom back out a little bit here. There you go. Stick that out. Yeah, don't we? Oh. Peter, good night, Tommy. So, Tommy, we just watched your field day video there, and uh, I, you know, I was telling Jim, sorry that uh, I backed out on you on that one, but you did a great job. Oh man, I had a good time anyway. Yeah, you, you look like any... you had fun. Yeah, yeah. I had a great time. You got anything to tell us about it? Yeah, they uh... wasn't <clears throat> hot. Was it? Hmm? Wasn't hot, was it? No, oh, man, it was super hot. <laughs> It was super hot. Those guys putting up the uh, the beam antenna out there in the on the grass, they kind of waited till the sun came up. Those poor fellows were about to die. I felt so bad for them. I was just glad it wasn't me. I hear you. Oh, I understand. I understand. Whew. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I had a great time. They were they were very uh, very accommodating and. Uh, is really awesome. Had, good had some good chow, I know. Uh, actually, I didn't eat with them. Uh, okay. Now they always <clears throat> do. One of the things I look forward to when yeah, I can go and be with them. Yeah, they catered it, but I ended up leaving a little bit early ah. before the food showed up, That's, which is unlike me. Yeah. <laughs> me <laughs> Very too. unlike him. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, I got an email. Uh, okay. You, you yeah. guys covered all the emails? Not no. yet. All right. Well, I was dying to do one. <clears throat> um, I can tell by the excitement in your voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Who's this from? 
this one's from my friend Bill. Uh, where is What's his Bill's call sign? Call? His call sign is not on here. It was. Oh, uh, it's not. It's Bill, Bill Richardson. Richardson. Yeah. N five V E I. Ah, okay. Yeah, M five V E I. That Bill. Uh, you guys remember Bill from the balloon episode? Ridgeland yeah. Titans. Yeah, he said balloon the. Uh, he's talking about the payload on his uh, on the balloon. He's talking about how the crickets were interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the ones that in was the, several episodes back. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, those. Uh, everybody usually enjoys those balloon Man, episodes, yeah. especially me. Uh, anyway, he said the talking about the crickets in there. He said the ones in the sealed bottles lived because they're pressurized. And the okay. ones in the unsealed bottles, all their legs popped off from the lack of pressure. That's kind of, that was, you know, kind of the expectations. Yeah, expansion of the internal organs, what he was saying. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they were. Cricket rep- pillars. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they. You know, cricket. Oh. <laughs> the beta oh. people are going to be kind of look yeah. for you, Bill. <clears throat> anyway, he said they replicated the film experiment that they couldn't identify last yeah. year and they got. Uh, Anyway, it got the same results. It might be interesting ah, to do a follow-up on that to see if there's kind of any phenomenon. viewers that can help to identify the phenomenon. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Go back strange. and look at that episode, and you'll see what Bill's talking about. Yeah. That we, we actually filmed or showed a shot of the film that they processed that had that phenomenon uh, yeah, so day. yeah. If you can identify what uh, what caused it, then uh, we can pass it on to Bill, or you can get in touch with Bill and let him know. Yeah. Well, Jim. Yeah. What is your next uh, piece of paper there saying? It says we got a little email here from Eric AC5CW, and the subject is music for our show. And he says he knows Joe Walsh made the intro for Ham Nation, which is correct. And he says, that got him to tinkering around with his own guitar, and he came up with some stuff, and he attached it for the Amateur Logic TV show to have some background music and some segments. Cool. Awesome. Uh, uh, thanks, Eric. We've been listening to it right here. Well, we talked a little earlier about the new shack here, and uh, let's take a look around at... at some of the questions you had about some of the unique things here that yeah. uh, we had done. Nothing uh, earth-shattering, but uh, some ideas that I think are going to make things a little easier for me anyway. Good deal. Since everything had to be removed from the old building before the building could be moved itself, the process began by renting one of these pods. Here's a shot of the old building. You can see it's in bad need of a paint job again, which it'll get soon. And it served me well for about 15 years, but boy, it's going to be nice to have a little room to spread out. Here's the new building, and you can see I decided to go with the steel building this time because I expect lower maintenance on it, and you can tell I don't like to paint a lot. I don't expect it'll be quite as energy efficient, and it's definitely noisier when it rains, but... I believe I can live with those compromises. Now this segment is being shot a couple of days after we recorded this episode of AmateurLogic.tv. Wayne and his brother Vince have been back over and helped me move some things in. It's starting to feel a little crowded again. I've got to sort through all this stuff and get it on the shelves and throw away things that I just don't need anymore. I've moved in one of the metal shelves here on the left-hand wall, 
And back behind that, we'll go the AM transmitter, if I ever get it in here. The green screen wall is in the back, and over on the right wall, I've got two more of the metal shelves. And then, I've got the workbench. Now, the bench is a little bit bigger than the one I had before. It's kind of junky right now, but that's going to be cleaned up, and some more items will be put on the pegboard soon. I've also got one more of the metal racks here in the rear of the building. And you can see right in front of it, that black thing. That's a 7-foot equipment rack that I got from a local TV station that no longer needed it. That'll hold my ham and computer and audio gear. This is the wall behind the rack. You'll see I've got a standard 110-volt AC plug there on the left. And right below it is a panel with two wires coming out. That's an HDMI video cable and a Cat5 cable. And those run to the rear of the building near the green screen. In the center there is a panel with three XLR connectors on it that are connected to microphone cables that also run to the same location back by the green screen. And to the right there, you'll see an LB electrical box that runs to the floor, and that's what I'm going to use to bring my antenna cables into the shack. Now, it should accommodate all the antenna cables that I currently have. However, if I would have been thinking right, I would have probably put in another one because, you know, we're always adding new antennas. So it could come a day when I have to drill another hole in the floor, but I'm not totally opposed to that. I've got a cover that goes over this box, and I'll drill holes in that to run the coaxes through and then seal around them to hopefully keep the insects and rodents out. On the same wall immediately behind my desk is another LB box, and this one has the electrical power coming into it, but there are also several other cables. There's the cable television, the internet, a few Cat5 cables and some multi-power audio cables, as well as telephone cables. Now those run to a punch block here I've got mounted on the right-hand side that I use to connect all this stuff to. And there's another punch block at the other end of the cables inside my house, so I've got a good way to get signals back and forth. Now this needs a little cleanup yet, so I'll be neatening that up as soon as I get everything connected. Here's the breaker panel for the building. On the left-hand side, you'll notice that I have one 220-volt breaker, and that runs to a couple of 220 outlets that I have here in the building, one for my linear amplifier, and another for that possible future AM transmitter. On the right-hand side, you can see I've got a row of 110-volt breakers. Since I have a lot of outlets in here, I wanted them well protected and the possibility to switch them on and off individually. Now over on the left you'll see office wiring and that's a diagram that I drew up of the wiring of the building so that I've got a quick reference in the future if I ever need to know how anything's connected. Now here's a shot of what Jimmy, Tommy and I see when we're shooting the show. There's a HD television there connected to the camera. That's our confidence monitor to let us see what's actually on and if we have audio. And there's a smaller monitor right beside that that we watch Peter on Skype. Up here in the right-hand top corner is a softbox fluorescent light. That's our main light. 
One more unique feature of the building is the vaulted ceilings. Now you can see I still need to do a little molding work. These are 8 foot walls, but the ceiling slopes up toward the center of the building where it's about 9.5 feet tall. Now that's done for a couple of reasons. One is to allow us to get the video lights up good and high where they really should be. And another reason is for acoustics because parallel walls are very reflective and by using this acoustic material and having the vaulted ceiling, it changes the reflections that come off the wall. Now, I also did this so that I've got a black box up there in the middle where I can install a ceiling fan if I would like. And also, you'll notice that there are a couple of 110-volt outlets up there. Those run to a switch on the wall, and that's where we plug in our video lights to do the show. So there's your tour of the new shack-slash-office-slash-studio-slash-man-cave. It's pretty junky right now, and I've got a lot of work in here to clean things up. And hopefully we'll be giving you another view of it in the future as things come together. I tell you, George, we are getting uptown now. Built-in connectors in the wall for mics and such. Phew. Not yeah. going to know how to act. Those are actually awesome. That's the first time yeah. I've seen them. Not going to know how to act. It's kind of like a broadcast station. Like. Yeah, it is. Isn't As a matter it? of fact, the AM transmitter is going right over there. <laughs> it's like a real studio. You need an ATV transmitter, uh, George. Eventually. Hey, yeah. Eventually. We're working on that, by the way. Uh, we, we would really... There's live, and then there's live... And that really would be live, wouldn't it, if we were transmitting yeah. as we film. Speaking of video, Peter, you've got an interesting email down there, don't you? I do indeed. Uh, I've got an email here from Troy. Uh, Troy's a collector of vintage video camera and TV equipment. Uh, he had a question, though, a uh, fairly technical question, where he's got a problem with the high voltage in his composite video signal out. Um, it's a bit beyond my uh, technical capabilities, but uh, I'll refer... I'll I'll pass his email on to a friend of mine, uh, Peter, VK3BFG, uh, who can uh, possibly help. On a more general uh, note, though, if you've got a technical question, um, feel free to put a post on our Facebook page, and uh, hopefully somebody in the community might be able to help you. Yep. Yeah, that's happened quite a bit. It just go to yep. Facebook. Do a search for Amateur Logic and come join our group. How many members we got now, Tommy? It's over 800. 812. 813. I added a new one today. 813. Yeah. You added a new one today. <laughs> yeah. It's been quite incredible <laughs> because it just seemed like yesterday that you were saying, oh, we're up to about 600 members, and uh, we've been just steadily getting three and four people a day. It's quite, it's quite incredible, the, the growth. It's a great community on there, a lot of nice guys and uh, a lot of good technical information being passed around. It's not just strictly about amateur logic. No, it's, not at all. Oh, yeah, computers, yeah, just, pretty much anything. Yeah, ham radio, just anything any of 813 people think about. So. Yeah. Jim, what have you got for us this week? Well, I, uh, I thought that I would do a review of my longtime daily driver rig control software, which I love. And it's uh, written or authored by N4PY, and it's quite simply called the N4PY software. Hello, Amateur Logic fans. Today we're going to take a look at some rig control software. It's what I use on a daily basis to control my Tintech Pegasus. The software is from N4PY. Ready? Let's take a look.
Welcome to the M4PY Rig Control Software Review. We are looking at the software here. Uh, this is on a Windows 7 platform, so it might look slightly different on a Windows XP box or whatever you may have. You may be running Windows 8 at this point. And we're going to take a look around the interface and the various uh, parts and components of the program. But first, let's talk a little bit about what you can control with the M4PY software. Uh, as far as manufacturers go, the program controls a very wide spectrum of rigs. Uh, manufacturers, including Lcraft, Kenwood, Tintec, Icom, Yezu, all the big names, but also receivers, Perseus, RF Space, and even more. Um, and within each of these manufacturers that we've mentioned, the depth of rigs, uh, individual models, is rich. So many different Kenwood models can be controlled, for example, as well as Tintec and Lcraft. Okay, uh, not only we should mention uh, different models, but also their amps, the manufacturer's amps, third-party amps even, rotor control even. And uh, it also controls uh, a second rig and includes support to do that and track via VFOB up here, a second rig, so you can literally have a two-receiver shack via the M4PY software. So that's, uh, that's something that many contesters use this particular software for. Okay, moving on now, we're going to talk a little bit about connectivity. That's the first thing you have to do, right, is get your rig connected to the M4PY software. And that's done via the traditional COM port, serial port interface, hardware interface method. In other words, you hook your rig up to the serial port on the computer and select what com corresponding COM port you'd like to use to control your rig. And then, of course, select your rig from uh, these selections. If you don't see your rig on here, uh, that doesn't mean anything in particular. You should inquire at N4PY's uh, website about which version you should buy. And then uh, you will be able to hook up your L-Craft or whatever it might be. Also, the second rig, there is a place to hook that up. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to have a... Uh, uh, Lcraft K2 as your second receiver, or a Tintec RX350 for that matter. But also, you're able to connect up a remote pod. And let's go out to the website for just a moment so that we can show you what this is. It's it's a knob, I call it. Uh, it's called a, uh, a pod knob. And this is an external... Uh, tuning knob that you can hook to the computer. The N4PY software supports it for every rig it controls and you can use this knob to uh, tune um, just like um, you would tune 
a uh, tune your rig regularly. If you have a uh, fully software controlled rig, uh, you might like the opportunity to have an external knob that you can just pull up next to the keyboard and not have to reach across the shack to use. Um, I happen to have one for my Tintech rig, but it, it is a knob that's made by Tintech and uh, it works beautifully. I know you can't see me moving it, but uh, I'm, I'm turning it right now as opposed to using the mouse. Okay, so that's uh, connectivity hardware-wise. Moving on to uh, other preferences and menu settings. Uh, the software is very feature-rich. Uh, you can control and set many things uh, preferences-wise. We're going to move down through this list of menus now and just in general give you an overview of things that can be controlled and set from the preferences in the menus. Uh, here, the default filter position and uh, AGC settings for different modes can be set. The uh, PTT toggle and tuning settings, uh, more time settings, auto CWID settings, various and sundry settings, uh, all can be set from uh, the preferences menus. Uh, frequency scanning settings, frequency start and stop settings for frequency scanning, etc. Colors, call signs, uh, transverter settings for 6 meter and 2 meter transverters are supported directly by the software. Uh, user, different and various user settings for the transverters. Uh, RIDI, PSK settings, both are supported natively by the software. Uh, SWLing, if you're a shortwave listener, you can uh, tweak the band assignments by frequency. Uh, tuning steps can be set and assigned to the various buttons here, and that is extremely handy. Uh, transmitter settings, internal tuner support for your transmitters. CW settings for uh, QSK, key speed, DIT and die weights. Uh, SSB settings, some of these we may look at a little bit more in depth in a moment. Uh, what else? The tuning methods are fantastic. I can grab with my mouse this uh, graphical representation of the band plan showing me the CW portion in blue, the SSB portion in green, and I can do some really quick fast tuning and move from one part of the band to the other in a hurry. If you have a mouse with a scroll wheel, you can turn that and uh, do something very similar. The uh, pod knob that we mentioned uh, can be turned. And uh, I'm sure there's many more ways like, uh, let's try the cursor keys on the keyboard. Yep, that works. Left and right keys. Here we are on 40 meters. And uh, if we needed to zero beat this guy we would turn on our spot tone match that in our tuning uh, anyway you can change these filter assignments right click here you have a selection
for instance, if I wanted to make this lo lowest button here 300 hertz, I could do so. Oh, really, we're out of time. There's uh, so much more I wanted to show you, like the uh, band scanning features where you can visually uh, tune up and down the band by pointing and clicking on different and various uh, signal sources. Also, uh, the memory's really and truly only limited by the disk storage available. Uh, window control, these are all individual windows within the larger window, and you can turn these on and off, but, but we're just really out of time. I don't, I don't have time to tell you about any more, except that uh, you should go to n4py.com. So there you have it. I don't know what else I can tell you except to say that, obviously, I'm very satisfied. I believe if you give it a try, you will be too. Here's email with another cheap old man minute. Welcome to another episode of Cheap Old Man Minutes. So you got trees in your backyard. And the slingshot just doesn't cut it anymore. So, reading QST and finding articles about this and other air guns that you can build very little money and you come up with one like this yeah all right this is the barrel you got that part mm-hmm this is the valve this is the tire valve that you use to pump it up this is the tank and how it works is the, uh, you open this valve to let the air push which shoots out a projectile that holds whatever piece of uh, fishing twine or rope that you want to shoot out and just put that in there All right. I'm not going to shoot anything so. and the trick is the faster you turn this the higher the projectile will go like this with approximately 40 to 60 pounds of pressure <clears throat> that you could easily use a bike air pump to uh, put it in there you can shoot it over probably the highest tree in your yard in this case fine trees and this is the loop it's actually up there that I made uh, in the previous episode. So it definitely works with very little effort and once again, very little moolah. You can see here we have the uh, tire valve that's in the uh, PVC tank portion of the gun. The valve itself and then the barrel and the projectile is nothing more than a little bitty piece of uh, PVC that happens to fit in the uh, barrel part. So from KE5QKR there's another cheap old man minute.
Great job, Emil. And there's always one thing you can count on from Emil. What's that, Jim? That it's cheap. Hello, everyone. I'm going to make a lot of you out there quite jealous in just a second. I've got a Raspberry Pi, and chances are you don't. That's because there's about a six-month waiting list for these things. Now, in case you've been hiding under a rock, a Raspberry Pi is an entire computer on a single small board, and it costs just $35. It's designed in England, and it's designed for educational purposes. It's basically made for hacking. Let's have a closer look at it. This is the Raspberry Pi Model B. There's an ARM processor on board and a graphics chip which is capable of 1080p video. There's an Ethernet connector for the internet, a couple of USB connectors for anything that uses USB, e.g. a wireless keyboard. Uh, we've got a sound jack here for sound out, composite video jack here uh, for composite video out, and uh, an expansion connector of some kind here. No doubt there'll be expansion boards offered in due course. Around here we've got a micro USB connector and you supply power through this connector. So you'll need to go and get yourself a plug pack from your local mobile phone retailer. It should be 5 volts at at least 1 amp. No less, at least 1 amp. Around here we've got a HDMI connector. So you've got the choice. You've got composite video out or HDMI out for your television and or monitor. Finally, around the back here, we've got an SD card connector. You'll need this, uh, an SD card, to boot off and also for extra storage. So far, so good. I'm sure a number of people out there are asking, where do you get one? Well, the distribution channels are RS Components and also Element 14. So uh, you might want to go first, though, to the Raspberry Pi website, have a look at the Model A and B configurations just to see which one suits you better. Now, you can go and put uh, various forms of Linux on this and actually turn it into a fully working, although somewhat slow, computer. But today I'm not going to do that. Uh, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, instead, I'm going to overclock it and turn it into a media server. In other words, I'm going to hack it. Here's the Model B Raspberry Pi. So I'm going to use one of them. And I've got a HDMI connector for my monitor. I've got a mobile phone charger rated at 5 volts at 1 amp with a micro USB connector on the end. I've also got a 4 gigabyte SDHC card, which is uh, what I'm going to boot off. And then finally, a USB wireless mouse and keyboard. It's now time to install software. First thing you need to do is to go to the raspbmc.com website and download the appropriate installer for your system. I'm running Windows, so logically I'm going to download the Windows installer. Then once you've done that, unzip it and put it in a folder. In this case in my C colon test folder. Uh, there's a few files there. The main thing is you just need to click on the one marked installer and the next thing you know up will pop this box. Now you should have taken your four gigabyte card and using an adapter 
or some other method, connect that to your computer so that it shows up as an extra drive. And that drive should appear in this box here. You merely tick the appropriate drive and then click install. About 30 minutes later, depending on the speed of your connection, you should get a box like this saying that Rasp BMC was successfully installed to your SD card. Now at this point, you could take the card, plug it into your uh, Raspberry Pi, and with a little bit of luck, hopefully uh, XMBC would work. However, I did say I was going to overclock the Pi to get a bit of extra performance out of it. A word of warning before I do this, uh, if you overclock your Pi, you can void your warranty and you can brick your Raspberry Pi. So you do so at your own risk. Don't come whinging to us. Now, to overclock the Pi, what I've done is I've made up a file called config.txt. This is it here, c-o-n-f-i-g.txt. And I've put in three lines. The first one is arm underscore f-r-e-q equals 800. The second is sdram underscore f-r-e-q equals 500. And the last is config underscore hdmi underscore boost equals 7. The first two overclock your system. Uh, not by a huge amount. Probably uh, it'll increase the performance by about 16%. The last one is an extra little fix for a problem I had with a flickering uh, image on my uh, on my monitor. I found my image was flickering all the time. And what you can do is uh, that, that can be due to uh, perhaps a uh, not enough signal getting through and this setting config underscore hdmi underscore boost can be set from one through to seven and i find that setting it to seven uh, for me at least has uh, significantly improved the uh, the picture so what you need to do is having made up that file simply copy it to the root directory of your uh, sdhc card as I have there. Alright, let's set up the Pi and see how it works. Okay, it's time for the big test, but first I should point out that this 4GB card turned out to be a complete failure. I don't know whether that's because it's a Class 2 card, but what I've done instead is I've gotten a 16GB Class 10 card, and I've gone through all those steps again and installed the software on the card. I did find one thing though, the software overwrites the config.txt file. So what you'll need to do is install the software first and then uh, edit the config.txt file in the root directory to add in those extra lines of code to overclock the, uh, the device. So let's give it a go. We put the SDHC card in its slot under the Pi and then we add some power and we pray that we don't get any smoke. Now one other thing I've done is that uh, I changed one of those settings again uh, and in fact I've now overclocked this up to 900 megahertz so I'm trying to get a 25% uh, speed increase. Now I've already tested this. Uh, if you look, you might see the odd error coming up on the left-hand side. 
don't worry about it. It's fine. In a few seconds, this will boot up and you'll have the full XMBC menu with a whole range of options to, uh, that you can go and use. And here we go. Now, even at... I'll give it another second or two. Even at 900 megahertz, this seems quite stable. I uh, haven't had any problems with it whatsoever. Now, as you see, you can uh, look at the weather, what the weather is for your area after you've put your location into the settings. You can look at uh, photos, videos, music, pretty much your typical media center. Now, we'll show you something here. There's this thing called video add-ons, which are like uh, extra access to streaming uh, video services. I've already gone in and added a couple NASA videos and Twit TV, but you can get more. Now, we're going into this Get More menu, and you'll see there's a whole range of different TV services that can be streamed off the internet that you can add in. You just pick the one you want, add uh, double-click on it, and it will install. Once you've done that, you can go back to your menu, and so we go to NASA videos and live streams, and then we'll double click on NASA TV educational. And lo and behold, I've got NASA TV streaming to my Pi. Now, I might need to check the settings because I'm not getting any sound, but I suspect that's because I've got it set to the HDMI sound and not the analog sound, which is uh, this plug here. So we'll stop this and head back to the menu. Okay, one final thing, uh, and that concerns, again, these add-ons. There, um, uh, other th there are add-ons that are built in that you can select uh, from in that menu, but there are also third-party add-ons that you can download off the internet, and they take the form of a zip file. You download the zip file and put that onto your SDHC card, and then what you need to do is to go into System Settings, then into Add-ons, and then hit your back button and you will see oh, it's making a liar of me I'll go to video add-ons ah oh, there it is I got a little bit lost there you'll see install from zip file uh, if you uh, click on that you can tell the program where your zip file is stored on the SDHC card and you can then get the extra functionality. So there you go. That's XMBC running on the Raspberry Pi. I think we can claim that as a success. Yeah, George, uh, I, I got my case from uh, a, a group called the Blackpool Linux Users Group. It's not the cheapest case, but uh, uh, I actually think it's rather rather nice. It's laser cut acrylic. Uh, Element 14 also sell cases as well, but uh, I'm sure it'd be quite fun to build your own. That's well, nice. I think I found a case for mine right here. <laughs> I'm going to mount it in, in this and uh, save a few bucks. <laughs> that that I really like that laser cut acrylic.
case. Yeah, yeah it's not no, here. I'll, I'll probably come up with something homebrew. Oh, I know you will. Yeah. You always do. But boy. I really like the Lego kits or the people that have made uh, a case out of Lego. I think that looks quite nice. I'm thinking of maybe making an Echolink node with this instead of running that big computer. Think that'll Makes, work? Yeah, absolutely. I bet I bet uh, there's probably even some prior stuff by someone that you can look at. Maybe. There's an Echolink Linux client. Yes. Uh, Jimmy, yes. you speak Linux, don't you? Yes. Yes, so you I'm should be able to program it. No problems. Certified Linux geek, yeah. No problem. Well, we're winding up close to the end of the show here, and we've got one final email. And if we okay. flip the four-headed coin here, it lands on Peter. Take it away. Uh, now, which one was it? Oh, yes, the final email is from Jason, KG4LV, soon to be N4CNC. And he sent me an email just querying about a place called Gumbaya Park, uh, whether he asked whether I knew of it, and uh, yeah, it's just a uh, basically a, a recreation park. I think it's privately owned, uh, just down near where I live. I've been past it, but I can't say I've been in there. But it looks quite nice. Yeah, that that's an interesting looking photo there with the the big mm. peacock and all. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Well, guys, I don't know about y'all, but I had a lot of fun today. Yeah, it's nice shooting in the new studio, the new W5JDX man cave. And it's bound to be at least 10 degrees cooler than it would have been in the other one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I only had about half as much fun as you guys did. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <coughs> you'll, you'll be here for the whole thing next time. Yeah, I have to come early next time and make up for it. Yeah, no dramas, as Peter says. <laughs> okay, everybody, have a good summer. We'll be back next month, hopefully on the 15th next month. Yes, just a tad late this time, but you you can see why it's worth the wait. All right, 7-3. See you next time. 73s. I know you've been having a lot of fun down there, and unfortunately, I've got what you've got, but have not had a chance to play with it yet. <laughs> Tell us what you've been doing. <laughs> that didn't sound right. No, no, no. That's, that's yeah. absolutely good. We're going with that. You're not cutting that or taking that out.